This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Aha, in the distance, I see a meerschaum pipe and a deerstalker hat, which can only mean we're due for a visit from Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. But let's begin this brand new week, and indeed the last week of the month of February, let's go for a few laughs from Fibber McGee and Molly. Now, I've aired many of their programs over the past several months and told you a little bit about the main players, Jim and Marion Jordan, as Fibber McGee and Molly. You know, in the entertainment world of fakes and phonies, it really is refreshing to find Jim and Marion Jordan, who were uh, reported as being every bit the warm and loving couple in real life that they portrayed on the air. It's generally agreed that the success of their show stems from the fact that their characters had a basis in their real lives. Fibber McGee and Molly have their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on the east side of the 1500 block of Vine Street. So let's go back to 1943 for the episode, The Poker Game. The Johnson White's program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Bibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. simple sentence that's worth repeating over and over again. To take better care of your things, try waxing them. With replacements more and more difficult, it's just downright common sense to make things last, keep them clean, protect them against wear. Dust and dirt, you know, wear things out more than anything else. That's why I say take better care of your things by waxing them. Give your floors, furniture, and woodwork a protective shield of genuine Johnson's wax. Protect all wood, leather, and enamel surfaces with this same wax polish. Every application of Johnson's Wax gives not only protection, but brings out the natural beauty of the finish. Floors that are regularly waxed grow lovelier every year, and they never need expensive refinishing. There are 100 extra labor-saving uses in your home for genuine Johnson's Wax, which you can buy from your dealer in one of three forms, paste, liquid, or cream. Poker is pretty much of a man's game. 
trying to get out of the house for an evening to play poker is also a man's game. And here, taking a hand in it, we find Fibber McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. These doggone executive meetings. I don't know why they have to ring me in on all of them. Well, why don't you just refuse to go, dearie? Oh, I couldn't do that. They, I can't let them down. They're, they're depending on me. Oh. Look, why don't you go to a movie or something? I don't know how late I'll be out. You know how these things are. Oh, I don't think there's anything I want to see, McGee. What's that to be you? A couple of guys I never heard of. Saw their names out in front of the theater today. I thought I knew everybody in Vaudeville, too. What are their names? Matt Daly and Pop Prices. <laughs> Why don't you go see him? No, I don't believe I will, McGee But I'll tell you what I will do Huh, what? I'll come with you <laughs> You can go into your old meeting And I'll sit outside in the lobby with a magazine and wait for you No, I... No, no, that won't do <laughs> This meeting might last till way after midnight Matter of fact, I think it will What's the meeting about? Oh, what's it about? Why, uh... Well, it's, uh... Well, the war effort Oh. We'll probably discuss stuff like labor problems A lot of the members of the Elks are businessmen and factory owners And they all want to see if they can get some good hands You know, to, to work <laughs> in, in the factories and stuff yeah. Everybody's going to lay his cards on the table <laughs> We're going to try and see that everybody gets a square deal Well, now isn't that grand? I'm proud of you, dearie, for wanting to do your bit Oh, shucks. It's nothing that any red-blooded American boy wouldn't do. <laughs> I only hope we can do some good. Well, I wouldn't gamble on it. <laughs> what do you mean, gamble? Well, I mean, these meetings are liable to be so much talk and so little action. Oh, we'll get some action, all right. <laughs> I'll lay a bet on that. Good for you. I'll just stay home here. Hey, maybe this is somebody that'll stay and spend the evening with you. Come in. Hi, mister. Hi, Miss McGee. Oh, uh, hi, sis. Hello, little girl. I haven't got time to stand and talk to you now, sis. I gotta go out to a meeting. Oh, my daddy's going out, too. He says he's gonna do some research. Research? Mm-hmm. He says he's finally gonna find out if it's scientifically possible to fill an inside straight. <laughs> <laughs> What's an inside straight, mister? Well, of course I... Why, uh, that's a poker hand, little girl. And if it'll save your father any trouble, you can tell him he can only fill one once in 13,789 draws. Oh, I, uh, I, I didn't know you knew so much about poker, Molly. Why, I love to play poker, dearie. Mm. And I think it's pretty selfish of the men to want to play by themselves all the time. Yes, I, I, my, I imagine... My daddy says women clutter up the game. Oh. Yeah. He says they always want to play fancy poker games like grocery store and baseball and duck on a rock. <laughs> duck on a rock? That's a new one on me, sis. What kind of poker game is that? Everything wild but the ace of spades. <laughs> For a kid your age, sis, you really get around. Well, gee, my daddy plays cards all the time, I betcha. <laughs> He's always making excuses to get out of the house so he can play poker. <laughs> he, uh, he does, huh? <laughs> Imagine that. You know, I think that's ridiculous. Now, if a man wants to go out once in a while and play cards with his men friends, why doesn't he just say so? You mean that, Molly? Why, of course I do. 
That doesn't apply to you, though, dearie, because <laughs> you always lose your shirt. Oh, I don't know. My daddy does, too, I bet you. My mama says we're going to have the doors in our house made bigger on account of my daddy's always coming home with a barrel. <laughs> Are you going to see my daddy tonight, mister? Who, me? Why? No, no. Mr. McGee is going to an executive's meeting at the Elks Club, little girl. Yes, I'm yeah, one of the... Yeah, but my daddy said... Never that... mind what your daddy said. I got too much to do to waste my time. Hey, where are you going, Molly? Well, I've got a cake in the oven, McGee. Now, you leave whenever you like. I'll be all right, dearie. Okay, I'll let you know before I go. Now, look here, sis. You better run along because I'm pretty busy. I got an important meeting tonight. Okay, mister. But I thought my daddy said you were going to be one of the... Please, sis. Yeah. Never mind what your daddy says. I guess I know what I'm going to do tonight. Now, you run along. You, you talk too much. Okay. But if, if you want to stop at our house on your way to the meeting and bring your stuff, my daddy will give you a lift, I'll bet you. Give me a lift with what stuff? I don't know, mister. Some dirty clothes, I guess. <laughs> Doggone it, why should I stop by your house with some old clothes? Mister, all I know is what my daddy said. What did he say? He said he was looking forward to taking you to the cleaners. meeting and leave you here all alone. I, I, I feel like a dessert. Well, don't be like that. Maybe your meeting will break up early. Uh, I don't think so. We, we got a lot of important things to consider tonight. For instance, you know that cat that they keep around the Elks Club to catch mice? Yes. Well, she's been getting pretty thin lately. Ain't been fed properly. Oh. Yeah. And it takes a big special meeting, a grown man to sit around arguing about who's going to feed the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. strung about. <laughs> well, 
Well, she just wanted to know what I was doing this evening. She might come over a little later. Oh, that's swell. You girls can have a fine old time, Chinny. If you're one chin and up he's three, you can have a four-way conversation. <laughs> For goodness sakes, will you stop fretting about what I'm doing, uh, going to do this evening? Well, I know, Molly, but I... You got me all fussed here. Yeah. <laughs> I've been by myself before. Yeah, I know, but... I won't play with matches. I won't put beans in my ears. <laughs> I won't mark up the wallpaper. Now, stop worrying. Well, gee whiz, it's just that I feel kind of guilty running out on you like this. Heavenly days, if you have to go to a meeting, you have to go, that's all. Besides, if I... Come in. Hello there, kids. Hey, you know anything about weddings? Well, we, we had one once, if that makes us experts, old-timer. <laughs> what was it you wanted to know, Mr. Old-timer? Me and Bessie are stepping off one of these days, daughter, and we want to do it right. Who's supposed to pay for what? <laughs> well, the groom buys the bride's bouquet and the presents for the best man and the ushers. Ushers? What do you think we're getting married at? at a movie? <laughs> I see where well, this is going to be an informal wedding. And you're picking a bum time for it, too, old-timer. What you mean, Johnny? Who's going to spend three ration coupons just so they can throw rice at a couple of chumps? Who's tying any of their old shoes on the back of an automobile with no gasoline in it? <laughs> Don't let him discourage you, Mr. Oldtimer. You and Bessie go ahead and get married. Where's it going to be? At the bride's home? That good etiquette? <laughs> Why, sure it is. On account of so often, the groom is living at the YMCA. <laughs> then you'll want about four ushers, four bridesmaids, two flower girls, a maid of honor, a best man, and a ring bearer. You're going to be kind of hard to handle, daughter. Why? Bessie and her old man live in a trailer. <laughs> I guess uh, maybe we better just sneak out to a justice peace someplace. Oh, I wish we could be there as witnesses. You gotta have witnesses? Why, certainly. Why not? Mm-hmm. What if you want to get out of it later? Won't witnesses be kind of embarrassing? Now, don't talk like that. Aren't you and Bessie in love with each other? Oh, daughter, every time I see Bessie, my heart goes bumpity-bumpity-bump. I get short of breath. My hands tremble. My mouth gets dry. Hey, is that love or am I smoking too much? <laughs> well, they're both expensive habits. <laughs> hey, what does this Bessie look like, old-timer? Have you got a snapshot of her we could see? Sure have, Ted. Got a Lulu right here. Uh, Bessie's sunbathing behind the trailer. Here, take a look. Oh. That's Bessie on the left. Trailers on the right. <laughs> Say, this picture's so faint I can't make it out, Mr. Oldtimer. Yeah, it ain't very good at that, daughter. Must have been overexposed when I developed it. Oh, you do your own developing. Where's your dark room? My what? Your dark room. Don't you have a dark room to develop your pictures in? No, no. Too much trouble, daughter. I get the same effect by blindfolding myself. <laughs> well, much obliged, kids. I'll let you know when the happy day comes. Here comes the groom. Here comes the groom. Hold up, Pope. Imagine that old footage. Oh, oh, my gosh. I almost forgot. Hey, Molly, where's the checkbook? It's in my purse, dearie. What do you want the checkbook for? Oh, well, something might come up at the meeting tonight where I might need a few bucks, you know, a donation to some charity or something. <laughs> Besides, the stakes are usually pretty high. Stakes? 
<laughs> what steak? Oh, I mean, if, if the meeting lasts too long, sometimes we send out for hamburger steaks. Oh. <laughs> and if we don't have enough chips, potato chips, well, gee whiz, I want to pay my share. All the other fellas. Hello, folks. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. What can we do for you? Uh, I just want to remind you, Fibber, about that poker. Oh, yes, about that poker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the blacksmith says he'll have it ready about the first of the week. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, Molly, the last time I was over at Wilcox's house, I tried to fix the fire in the fireplace and sent the poker all out of shape. <laughs> Guess I don't know my own strength. <laughs> Teach me a good lesson. Yes, dearie, it surely will. Say, what are you getting so red in the face about, McGee? <clears throat> What's a little poker between bridge? That's what I say. You'll pay for it, won't you, Pepper? Well, I usually do. Uh, why, certainly, certainly. <laughs> certainly I'll pay for it. Say, are you going to the executive's meeting at the Elk Club tonight, Miss Wilcox? What executive? You know, Junior, the annual, the, the, the meeting that was scheduled for the, well, the big meeting. Oh. Uh, no, I don't think I can attend a committee meeting tonight. Oh. I've got to meet an old auntie tonight. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Say, if you're coming near here, Mr. Wilcox, bring her in. I'll give you some coffee and cake. What's your auntie's name? Uh, Philpott. <laughs> She's one of Dog the... Doggone it, Junior. What are you standing around here for, Gavin, about your relatives? Don't try to cover up with a lot of idle conversation. Cover up what, McGee? Well, gee whiz, we know what he's here for. Why don't you get at him? He ain't fooling anybody. Okay, pal, you asked for it. Let's have it. Give your kitchen linoleum a new deal with Johnson's self-polish and glow coat next time you have a full house for a card party. Enjoy that royal flush of pride you'll get from a clean, sparkling kitchen floor. See how easily spots and footprints wipe right off a glow-coated linoleum. How much more sanitary your kitchen is with the floor surface wax sealed against dust and dirt. If you spill something off a tray... It can't raise the deuce with your linoleum. Because glow coat is aces yeah. in protection. Get a container of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat today. It's your dealer's choice. So long, folks. I'll see you. McGee, you're shaking like a leaf. What's the matter? Oh, I get so mad at that guy. Don't you know what he was trying to do? Trying to get my goat with all them card terms just because I bent his cheap old poker. Oh, don't be so sensitive. You're as thin-skinned as a toy balloon. Now, you run along to your meeting. I've got some mending to do. And now, I'll... I wish you'd get somebody to come over and stay a while or go to a movie or something. Gee, but McGee, I... don't be so silly. Why are you so anxious to have me do something tonight? Well, it ain't fair for me to have all of... I mean, for me to go out and maybe stay so late and all. I, I just thought that maybe... Heavenly day. Who on earth is that now? Gee. Uh-oh. It's that Spanish girl that moved in down the street. The one that her brother is a pilot from South America. Oh, she's sweet. Yeah. Come in. Ay, buenas tardes, mis queridos amigos. Do you memorize me? Oh, <laughs> Hi, sis. Sure, we memorize... Or you bet we remember you. Well, it's nice to see you again. How's your brother? My brother? Oh, he's sitting down on top of the world. Gracias. <laughs> they have made him a captain now. And he is very proud to be so rank. <laughs> you mean proud of his rank, sis Oh, see I still make one or two little mistakes with my English <laughs> But my honker says I am learning very fastly Your what? My honker I have a special honker for English Honker? Oh, you mean tutor, sis? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
toots my brother Carlos. <laughs> now, look, dearie, I don't think we even know each other's names. I'm Mrs. McGee, and this is my husband, Mr. McGee. Ay, tengo tantísimo gusto en conocerles a ustedes dos que son tan simpáticos. My name is Moreno, Rosita Moreno. Oh, I'm glad to know you, sis. You married? No, señor. Many times I have been proposed that, but never am I marrying somebody until I have my head over my healing love. <laughs> it is a serious thing for a girl to go from singlehood to marriedhood. Yeah, it certainly is, dearie. In marriage, it's a case of look before you leap and then walk around if you have time. <laughs> but uh, what was it we could do for you? You mean, why are you visiting me in your house? <laughs> well, I am just murdering some time until Carlos is coming home. So I think I will butt myself in on those very nice people down the street. <laughs> oh, I hope you're not bothering me. <laughs> Sis, you drop in any time and practice your new English. I might pick up a little Spanish at the same time. I'm, I'm pretty good at languages. Overseas in the last war, I learned to parley French like a native. Yeah, <laughs> like a native Hawaiian. <laughs> Say, you must bring your brother over sometime, too, Miss Marino. Oh, please call me Rosita. With friends, if it is foolish to stand on formaldehyde. <laughs> Formality, Rosita. Oh, see, Formality. Gracias. Yeah. Uh, well, how do you say you're welcome in Spanish? De nada. De nada. That's it. See how quick I pick it up, Molly? Oh, you're wonderful, McGee. You ought to be appointed our next ambassador to Peru, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't forget, Rosita, you and your brother come over any time. Oh, muchas gracias, señora. I will tell Carlos, and he will be very delightful. Huh. You know I have been making good friends with close neighbors. He will kick himself out of it good. You know what? Maybe I mean he will hand himself a good kick. No, I don't think you mean that. Um, he will give himself a pat on the back with his foot. No, that isn't exactly the Oh, right. I know. He will get out of it big with a kick. Oh, do you, do you mean he'll get a big kick out of it? Oh, sí, sí. Ay, pero qué tonta soy. Qué cabeza tengo. Bueno, ya me voy. Muchísimas gracias por todo y hasta mañana, amigos. Come again? Thank you. I will. The King's Man and Murder, he says. Boy and girl used to be and cool back in 1892. Billing and cooing is corny today. Boy meets girl and right away. He says, murder, he says. When they meet, she says, murder, she says. Beat your feet, they say, murder. <laughs> is that the language of love? She says, solid, she says. Meaning his arm. Solid, he says. Meaning her charm. Solid, they say. <laughs> is that the language of love? He says, chick, chick, you torture me, zoot. Are we living? Shoot me the snoot for a kiss. She says, dig, dig, the jumps the old ticker is given. What kind of a ransom is this? Hep, hep. He says, murder. When he holds her tight, she says, murder. And he says, good night. Now, if they keep it up in that impossible tone, it'll bring on nobody's murder but their Oh, 
Ross pursuit, he says, Jackson, he says, shoot me the rice. Jackson, he says, make with the spice. Jackson, he says, now who the heck is Jackson? He says, hap, hap, with helium, babe, now we're cooking. And other things to wit. Quote, get in the groove of jump where you're looking, unquote. His uppers don't fit. He says, murder, not a date. Jackson, big engagement, solid man. I'd like to catch him alone. I'd make that murder he talks about exclusively. I guess I better be leaving any minute now. Fine, run along, dearie. You sure you don't want to go to a movie or something? McGee, for the 10,000th time, I tell you, I'll be perfectly happy. Now get along to your old committee meeting. You won't worry if I'm kind of late. No, but you've aged 10 years worrying about whether I'd worry or not. Get along with you. Okay, but gee, I I wish you'd get... Oh, dear, now who? Come in. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mrs. (laughs) McGee. Hi, Wimp, old bruiser. How are you, Mr. Wimple? You're healing up nicely, thank you, Mr. McGee. <laughs> I just met a friend at Mr. McGee's, and I promised him I'd remind Mr. McGee of the date he had tonight. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Date with the executive committee at the Elks. Sure, sure. Well, thanks, Wimp. Much obliged. Well, how's everything going with your physical culture work? Just splendidly, Mr. McGee. See how I'm filling out? <laughs> oh, that reminds me, dearie. Our laundry bag didn't come back this week. <laughs> uh, where do you work out with your gymnastics, Mr. Wimple? Oh, I fixed up a dandy little gym down in our cold bin, Mrs. McGee. Makes it kind of tough when you fall off a trapeze or something, don't it, Wimp? Oh, no, it's soft cold. <laughs> That's nice, but that isn't a very healthy place to exercise. I should say not, Wimp. You gotta have fresh air. Work out in your bedroom or someplace. Open the window and take great, big, deep breaths. Like this. <laughs> no, I couldn't. You couldn't take deep breaths? I couldn't open the window. <laughs> but I will very soon now. I'm getting stronger every day. Last week, I only weighed 78 pounds. And guess what I weigh now? I could never guess. 77. <laughs> I'm just burning off the fat. And see how much straighter I'm standing? Sweetie Face is teaching me to keep my shoulders back. How's she teaching you? Oh, she throws me down on my face, puts her knee in my back, and pulls up on my shoulders. <laughs> Heavenly days. Hey, you can get a busted clavicle that way, Wimp. Oh, no. I always faint before the bone actually breaks. <laughs> Doesn't your wife take it easy when you faint? Oh, yes, indeed. This morning when I came to... There she was, standing over me, wringing her hand. Oh, and what did you say? I couldn't say anything. She had my neck between them. <laughs> Goodness sakes, Mr. Wimble, I don't know how you stand it. Didn't you ever think of leaving? Oh, yes, I have, Mrs. McGee. One summer, I spent every afternoon sitting on a curbstone out in front, hoping some gypsies would steal me. <laughs> they never did. Well, I've got to be going now. Where to, Wimp? I've got to meet Sweetie Face down at the feed store. Oh, is she buying feed? No, she's just getting weighed. Well, goodbye now. <laughs> Say, more people come in to remind you of that committee meeting, McGee. Must be very important. Oh, it is, and I better be getting down there, too. I got a superstition about being there for the first hand. First hand? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I want first hand information about. For goodness sakes, come in. 
Oh, hello, Abigail. Uh, how do you do, Mr. McGee and Mr. McGee? Hi, Effie. Glad to see you. Wiggle out of the minx and swing the body on a stool. <laughs> Slip your shoes off, too, if you like. Only three pair a year, you know. You're pretty heavy on them. <laughs> uh, thank you. You girls will excuse me if I duck along, won't you? I got an important committee meeting at the Elks, Effie. Go right along, Mr. McGee. I have managed to struggle through 23 hours and 55 minutes of the day without your magnetic personality. I think I shall survive the other five minutes. Uh, thank you. <laughs> hey, are you sure it's okay with you, Molly, if I don't get home very early? These meetings are no, after me. No, no, no. Now run along and don't come home till you get good and ready. I'll be perfectly all right. Okay, well, so long, Uppy. Mm, good evening, Mr. McGee. And, oh, I almost forgot. You didn't give me the checkbook, Molly. I am time to look for it now, dearie. Oh, well, okay. Well, so long, Molly. See you later. McGee, you didn't kiss me goodbye. Huh? Oh, uh, goodbye. I'll see you later. <laughs> Well, come, my dear. We shall have to hurry. We're ten minutes late now. Where is the bingo game tonight, Abigail? <laughs> At Gladys Mills. Uh, you'd better bring about five dollars. I lost three seventy-five the last time. Well, I've got the checkbook in my purse. Where's my hat? Uh, oh, here it is. I'm ready, Abigail. My, I've been looking forward to this ever since she called me up. But how about Mr. McGee? Will his committee meeting take long? Committee meeting Mike Clavicle. He's headed for a poker game, Abigail. <laughs> I've been trying to get him out of here for an hour. Come on, let's go, dear. I hope you didn't have too dull an evening with Uppy yourself. Well, to tell the truth, we went out to a bingo game. Huh? I lost $2.60. You did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, to tell the truth, I was playing poker. <laughs> I won 12 bucks. Well, while we're telling the truth, I knew you were playing poker. What? What was the idea of kidding me along? Well, I knew you'd have more fun if you thought you were getting away with something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd have gone with you. Huh? Abigail just sits there with no expression whatsoever. Poker face? I was tempted to once or twice. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. The characters of the old-timer and Wallace Wimple heard on this program were played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program has reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Sherlock Holmes next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Aha! Aha again! That deerstalker hat is much closer now that Dr. Watson has arrived to tell us another intriguing story from the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, Sherlock Holmes and Watson are summoned to India to help in the case of the vanishing white elephant. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about an exciting adventure he shared with his old friend at Master Detective Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) 
And now let's see if our old friend Dr. Watson's expecting. He's out on the patio. Dr. Watson? Sit out here this evening, my boy. Oh, swell idea, Doctor. It certainly is a beautiful night. It certainly is. Do I put you on? Make yourself comfortable. That's it. You, uh, care for some of my tobacco? I think I'll stick to a cigarette, thanks. Well, Doctor, all ready for tonight's adventure? Yes, Mr. Bartell, I'm all ready. And a strange story it was. A very strange story. How did it begin? Stormy December night in 1900 with the rain pelting against the Baker Street windows? Or perhaps with you and the great Sherlock Holmes rattling along in a cab beside the foggy waterfront chasing some desperate criminal. <laughs> Quite a good story to tell yourself, Mr. Bartell. No, no, no. The adventure I'm going to tell you took place many, many thousands of miles afield from our Baker Street headquarters. To be exact, in the Indian city of Parbutipur, about 200 miles north of Calcutta. It must have been a mighty important case that made you both travel that far. It certainly was, my boy, yes. It was announced in the, in the summer of the... 1894, I remember, that Holmes received an urgent summons from the Maharaja of Parbutipur. After five weeks at sea, we reached Calcutta, and a few days later found ourselves on the veranda of our hotel in Parbutipur. As we sat there talking to the Maharaja's brother, Robert Singh, we could hear the faint throb of native drums and the haunting wail of an Indian lute coming from the bazaar. And so, gentlemen, I thought that before I took you over to my brother's palace, I would tell you something of the problems that beset him. An excellent idea, Mr. Singh. Uh, yes, indeed, sir, particularly as you've just told us, your brother, the Maharaja, is not in the best of health. Uh, just so, Dr. Watson. Interviews tie him, and in any case, his command of the English language is not so extensive as mine. And now, sir, the problem, if you please. As to exact problem, Mr. Holmes, I am not completely informed. My dear brother has not seen fit to confide his entire troubles even to me. In fact, until your arrival yesterday, I did not even know that you had been sent for. But I can tell you that his worries are centered on the safety of the white elephant of Parbutipur. White elephant? Possibly you are not aware that white elephants actually do exist. Oh, yes, though I understand that they're extremely rare. Oh, extremely, Mr. Am I right in thinking that in the East, a white elephant is considered sacred? Quite right. Continue, sir. Well... In 1750, the first white elephant was presented to my great-great-grandfather, and with it came a legend. The legend that the Maharaja's rule would be happy, healthy, and successful only as long as the elephant flourished. If the animal were to die, then the reign would come to an end, and the Maharaja was doomed to a sudden death. Mr. Singh, who was responsible for the origin of this legend? Oh, a good and wise man who traveled from the mountains beyond Nepal. He it was who brought the first elephant to my great-great-grandfather. And how has the legend worked out in actual practice, sir? Its prophecies have come frighteningly true, Dr. Watson. Oh? The first elephant was killed by his mahout, his own keeper, after my illustrious ancestor had dismissed man for incompetence. Later, my great-great-grandfather was himself killed in a native uprising. And so it has gone on, gentlemen, since then. Amazing, amazing. When the elephants have died, and they have always died, the Maharaja of Vaputipur has died a violent death soon after. And as each new Maharaja has succeeded to the title, the wise man from the beyond the mountains has appeared, and with him, a new sacred white elephant. The last appeared four years ago, when my brother inherited the title. Oh, but he can't still be the same man, well, sir. Why not, Doctor? Well, <laughs> I mean to say, 
That'll make him a couple of hundred years old. Mm, a trifle less, I fancy, Doctor. <laughs> really, my dear sir. Seems to me your story's the wrong way round. Men don't live to such an age, whereas elephants are noted for their length of life. That's true, Watson, but apparently not the sacred white ones of Parbidipur. Uh, Mr. Singh, uh, in the event that uh, your brother's death, who would become the Maharaja? <laughs> <laughs> I should, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I can see what you are thinking, sir. The next in line to succeed to the title would have an excellent motive for wishing animal death. <laughs> the logic is inescapable. The thought had no personal implication, I assure you. Well, I'm very anxious to see this fabulous animal. The sacred white elephant is never seen except at the yearly festival that celebrates another anniversary of the Maharaja's rule. So the animal is only seen once a year, eh? Yes, Mr. Holmes. And when is the next anniversary, may I ask? In two weeks' time. Oh, our arrival seems to have coincided very nicely with the ceremony. Yes, Watson, a fact that I'm sure is not coincidental. Well, Mr. Singh, I'm very glad that you told us the legend of the sacred white elephant, and now I suggest that you take us to the palace. I'm most anxious to make the Maharaja's acquaintance. This is the council chamber, gentlemen. If you will wait here a moment, I will go and see if my brother is well enough to receive you. Very well, sir. I'm not easily impressed. This palace is absolutely staggering in its magnificence. Yes, it does rather take one's breath huh? away, doesn't it? It does. This floor is of the finest marble. And unless I'm much mistaken, that magnificent rug is a genuine Bacara. Yes, by Jove, it is. I could swear that the staircase we mounted a moment ago had railings of solid gold. You did, old chap. This is a country of paradoxes, where opulence beyond the dreams of Midas rubs shoulders with the direst poverty. Yet looking at a palace like this, it's not hard to see why India is called the brightest jewel in the diadem of the British Empire. Lord, what's that? That is an elephant trumpeting. Oh, yes, of course. Do you suppose it's the sacred white one? Undoubtedly. You will recall the Maharaja's brother told us it's the only one at the palace. It's an odd sound. It's a very comforting one. The animal seems to be in the best of health. Who waits in the Maharaja's council room? Who gracious me? You gave me a start. Here you come in. My friend and I are waiting for an audience with His Highness. No one can hold audience with the Maharaja. Please to leave. Now look here, my good fellow. Watch me. Please to leave. What? what? We've traveled 12,000 miles to see the Maharaja, sir, at his request. In any case, his brother is with him now arranging an audience. I am Mada, Maharaja's physician and chief counselor. And I tell you, you cannot hold audience day. And I tell you that I have the slightest intention of leaving the palace without seeing him. You defy the authority of mother? Saila! Now I warn you that if I have any... Oh, I'm glad you're back, Mr. Singh. This fellow told us that we couldn't see your brother. And furthermore, he seems to labor under the misapprehension that he can have us thrown bodily out of the palace. Mother, you do not understand. These are the gentlemen my brother wishes to see. From England he has sent for them. It was against my counsel they were summoned. No good will come of this. Follow me, gentlemen. My brother, the Maharaja, will see you now. But please do not stay with him too long. He is far from well. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson... I'm so happy you have arrived here safely. It was great imposition to ask you to travel so far. Oh, not at all, sir. I only hope we can prove of material assistance to you. Ranji? Yes, Robert? 
I wish you would permit Dr. Watson to examine you. Yes, I'd like to suggest myself, sir. In fact, I, I brought my medical bag along just in case. Mother would not approve. Mother not believe in oxidative medicine. I do not trust Mada. I do not think he wishes you to get well. Please, Ranji, let the doctor examine you. Very well. But you not tell now, Mada. And now, um, what seems to be the, the trouble, Your Highness? My, my eyes. They torture me. Night and day, they torture me. Yes, I notice they seem very inflamed. Now, let me take a look at them. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Now, uh, open oh. them a little wider, please, sir. I throb, burn, night and day. Night, they burn. Mm. Oh, it's distinctly reddened. However, this isn't anything very, very serious, sir. What you're suffering from is a case of what we call conjunctivitis. What you do relieve pain, doctor? Eye drops will give you relief in no time, sir. I have some here in, in my bag. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Perhaps medicine will help. Yes, yes, I'm sure it will, sir. Here you are, now. this small bottle and an eyedropper. Uh, this is, is an eyedropper. Uh, just put a few drops in the corner of each eye, and I'm sure that you'll, you'll get some relief in no time at all. Thank you, Dr. Watson. You think there is nothing seriously wrong, Doctor? Mother gave it as his opinion that my brother's eyesight was in serious danger. Upon my saying so, I think it more likely that my medical knowledge exceeds his. I can assure you there's nothing seriously the matter with your brother's eyes, sir. I'm happy you say so. <laughs> now you will please excuse me while I take medication and rest a little. We discuss my problems later. Quarters already prepared for you in Paris. You'd like to Mr. Holmes? Not at all, sir. Though in the interim, I should like to employ my time to the pool by inspecting your sacred white elephant. No. No, that I cannot allow. I must talk to you first. I think, sir, you will do well to give me permission to see the animal. I already have my suspicions as to your reason for bringing me here, and it will be best if I'm completely informed when we have our discussion. Very well. Can do no harm. Here. Take ring. Show ring to Sucro. He's keeper of animal. Sucro will let you into elephant house. When he see ring. Thank you, sir. And please rest comfortably. I'm sure that your worries are nearly an end. Come on, Watson. Well, well, they told us this was the elephant house. Why in thunder doesn't the keeper open the door? I imagine because his mind is preoccupied with music. Knock again, old fellow, will you? Uh-huh. He heard us that time. Yeah, about time. We must be knocking here for five or six minutes. Well, I'm sir. He am sector. Mm-hmm. Holmes, the Maharaja's ring certainly to do the trick. He didn't want to let us in until you showed it to him, oh, did he? Good and faithful servant, our friend Sukro. Here, come to high. Here. Hati, Pagir. Pagir. That's a map. Nejot Aisha. What's happened, Holmes? 
white elephant who disappeared once. Disappeared? That's ridiculous. Elephants don't just disappear. Do you got it, sir? Maharaja Sad Kibolo. Kali Umkabolo. What that you, sir? What that you? Where's he going? I told him to go to the Maharaja to give the news. He was to tell it to no one else. Holmes, this is ridiculous. We heard the animal trumpeting here less than half an hour ago. How can an elephant be spirited away in that amount of time? That's what we have to find out, my dear fellow. I've often had the Indian rope trick. Now we have a first-hand opportunity of solving a new mystery, the problem of the disappearing elephant. Holmes, this is possible. We spent half an hour searching this elephant house. After all, an elephant isn't exactly insignificant. I doubt if you're going to find it under those boards in the corner over there. True, Watson, but nonetheless, there are interesting clues to be observed. Clues? What clues? Come over here, old chap. Bloodstain? Great Scott, you're not suggesting that's elephant's blood? It's hard to say, though I would venture the opinion that it would require the blood of several human corpses to produce an equivalent of blood. In any case, you will notice that the stains are dried and old. Hello? That must be the elephant keeper back from the palace. Dr. Watson. It's not a Maharaja's physician. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, at once you must come back to the palace. What wrong, sir? It is the Maharaja. Then I come to you. Ned? Great heavens. Jackie Watson. Sukro, keeper of the elephant, came to the Maharaja. He said he had a most important message to deliver. He had. I told him to deliver it. Then what happened? A few moments later, I have cries. I went to Maharaja's room and found him in delirium. He was saying about the elephant having disappeared, his brother, and I tried to give comfort to him, but we could do nothing. His breathing became more and more labored. Finally, it stopped altogether. So the doom of Pambodipur is fulfilled once again. The elephant is gone and the Maharaja's reign is ended. Come on. You must go to the palace. Yes, I must examine the body at once. You are certain it was a natural death, Mr. Mutter? Positive, Mr. No Holmes. symptoms of poisoning, for example? Mr. Holmes, I have read some of your sensational stories in which obscure deaths are attributed to a subtle oriental poison unknown to Western science. I can assure you that if the Maharaja has been poisoned, it has been caused by no poison known to me. When did he last eat? Over uh, eight hours ago. Possibly died of shock, home, shock and hysteria, when he knew that the elephant had vanished. Yes, it's possible, but it's murder just the same. Murder? Why do you say that, Mr. Holmes? Because whoever caused the elephant to disappear did it with the deliberate intention of ending the Maharaja's reign. A diabolical plot, and one that I intend to overcome before this day is out. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure, The Case of the Vanishing Elephant. Tell me, Doctor, did you examine the Maharaja's body? Yes, of course I did, Mr. Bartell. Holmes was convinced that the Maharaja had been murdered, but I could find no trace of foul play. After my examination, I joined Holmes in our quarters, and I gave him my... Found that ending? Like natural death to me, Holmes. No traces of poison? None that I could see. Well, it's hard to be certain without an autopsy. Did you suggest one? Yes, but the new Maharaja won't hear of it. It's against their religion, apparently. Yes, I was afraid of that. Meantime, I've been conducting a cross-examination of some of the palace servants. Oh? What do you find out? Principally that all of them heard the elephant trumpeting this morning. Did any of them suggest how the animal might have been smuggled out to the palace ground? They insisted that such a feat would be impossible without their knowledge. Well, what's our next move, Holmes? To interrogate the one person who I'm sure can give us the true story of the elephant's disappearance, its keeper. Remember, we haven't seen him since he took the message to the palace. 
I suggest we return to Elephant House and have a, a persuasive talk with him. This must be the house, the only one that's near the elephant pen. Ramshackle-looking place, isn't it? Extremely. Sucro! Sucro! Don't tell me that he's vanished, too. <laughs> this is as if you get on my nerves. Sucro! I think under the circumstances, we'll take the liberty of entering. Sucro! Look home. Look on the floor. Ah, we're too late. Good Lord. What a horrible sight. His throat's been cut. Obviously, another murder. He knew the secret of the vanishing elephant. Let's have a look around. Ah. Uh, was quite a, quite a musician. Look at this weird assortment of instruments. Made lute. We heard him playing that today as we approached the elephant house. What's this? Looks like a sort of giant megaphone. It's a musical instrument of some kind. Observe the mouthpiece here. Let's see what kind of noise it makes. But the instrument sounds exactly like, like an elephant trumpeting. Of course. Thomas Carl White didn't have this before. Come on, Watson, back to the palace as fast as your legs can carry you. The mystery is solved. <laughs> You have solved the problem of the missing elephant, Mr. Yes, sir. Holmes. And also the cause of your brother's death and Sucro's murder. Indeed. That is very important news. Uh, won't you both sit down, please? Uh, thank you, sir. I get... uh, please proceed, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. At first, the elephant did not vanish today. The beast must die a natural death months ago. All that happened to Abe was that I discovered its absence. Are you suggesting that my brother knew the beast was dead? I am, sir. But he was afraid to publish the news. He knew that his rule would fall into a state of chaos if the fact were known. You yourself, sir, have told us how strong is the native belief in this legend. How did he dispose of the elephant? Unobtrusively over a period of time, the bloodstains in the elephant house would indicate that the animal had been cut up into disposal fragments, which could be removed by the faithful sucro without attracting suspicion. All this time, though, the elephant horn was loaned at suitable intervals to indicate that the sacred animal was still alive. But if the Maharaja knew the beast was dead, why did he die of shock when he received the news? I think the answer to that question, Dr. Watson, would be that my brother died of shame when he knew that his imposture had been discovered. Oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. The sir, if you don't mind my saying so. Now, I'm certain the reason your brother brought me to your country was to reveal that imposture to me. He knew the day was coming soon, and he must show the elephant to his people. The festival would have been held in two weeks' time, I think you told us, sir. I imagine that he wanted me to devise a method of smuggling a new white elephant into the palace grounds before that time. Tell me, Mrs. Sherlock Holmes, why did my brother die today? Because he was murdered. Just as Sucro was murdered later. Murdered? Oh, very ingeniously. Uh, By poison, but not, as you might expect, by any subtle Eastern poison. No, one of the... uh, most recent of Western poisons was used, a poison unknown to Oriental science. Delirium, followed by a strangulated breathing, is highly typical of the newly discovered poison, hyosiamine. You hadn't eaten for eight hours. True, Watson, but you see this um, hyosiamine was administered to uh, an eye dropper. Good heavens. The 
poison penetrates with usual ease through the membranes of the eyes, if you will recall. Right, but Joey does. Must have been that physician fellow, Ma, Ma, whatever his name is. No, my dear chap. Uh, this has been a case of confusions. Let's do a little clear thinking now, shall we? You see, uh, we were deceived by the apparent sequence of events. We discovered the elephant missing and thought that fact had caused the Maharaja's death. Well, as his murder was quite a separate matter. The poison must have been placed in the eye drops while we were in the elephant house. Precisely, dear chap. And uh, when the murderer saw how the Which... problem of the missing elephant confused us, he killed its unfortunate keeper to prevent us from winning the truth. Yes, you're strangely silent, Mr. Singh. Am I, Mr. Holmes? I am fascinated by your flow of unassailable logic. Of course, uh, you realize that I am now the Maharaja, the King of Kings, an absolute ruler with all power, including that of the police. Do you, uh, do you care to denounce the murderer to me? Oh. Come, come, Sir Wright. It's time the buttons off our foils. I'm well aware that you studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh. That the motive, the opportunity, and the knowledge to kill your brother. The murder of Sucro was probably performed by an underling. Great Scott, what a shocking... You are a clever man, Mr. Holmes. A very clever man. Clever enough to realize that an absolute ruler, a ruler with all powers, including that of the police, is not apt to denounce himself. Again, your logic is unassailable. Goodbye, gentlemen. I trust your voyage home will be a pleasant one. I warn you, sir, that I shall make a full report of my findings in this case to the British Commissioner of the state. Why should we prove more effectual than great Sherlock Holmes? Goodbye, gentlemen, and above all, I... Oh, murderer. It's my blood boil to think that he can't be brought to justice. But he can, and he will be. Civilized laws of the Occident cannot be enforced here. Then we must fight him with his own weapons. What do you mean, Holmes? We have a farewell talk with Mr. Mader, the dead Maharaja's physician, friend, and counselor. This is a terrible story you have told me, Mr. Holmes. My beloved ruler murdered by his own brother, yet... He cannot be made to account for his crimes. He can be, sir. If you will help, Mr. Holmes. Of course I will. What can I do? Try and obtain the eye drops before they're destroyed, will you? Have them analyzed by a Western scientist and forward the reports to me in London. I'll take the necessary action. I will try to do that, Mr. Holmes. But if I fail, there is one other way I can avenge my master's death. In a few weeks... The new Maharaja will be enthroned. Ah. I understand you, sir. The wise man from beyond the mountains of Nepal will bring a new white elephant. Perhaps an elephant that will not live very long. You understand me perfect, Mr. Holmes. I can promise you that the elephant will die in a very short time. And with it, the new Maharaja. My master shall be avenged. That was quite a story, Doctor. Quite a story. And tell me, what did happen to the next white elephant of property well, By an extraordinary coincidence, it died the day after New Maharaja's enthronement. And that scuttle was himself killed in an uprising that occurred just a few days later. You know something? I think I could be very happy as an Indian Maharaja. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. 
beautiful palace, yeah. beautiful women, beautiful jewels. <laughs> and every year on my birthday, the natives would give me my weight in gold. Uh, you know, I could learn to like that. That is, if I tried. Yes, and every week you'd speak your subjects over the radio and tell them all about Petri wine. Oh, now, now, wait a minute, Doctor. I don't always talk about Petri wine. <laughs> That's right. You, you don't always talk about Petri wine. You've got to sleep sometime. <laughs> all right, go on. Kid me about it. But Petri wine is worth talking about. After all, what other wine has the tradition behind it that Petri wine has? Don't forget the Petri family has been making Petri wine for generations. Since way back before there were electric lights and telephones and things like that. They've been making Petri wine since the 1800s and handing down from father to son, from father to son, every bit of valuable knowledge and experience. There's no doubt about it. The Petri family really knows how to turn luscious grapes into wonderful wine. That's why you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Doctor, how's about giving us a clue to next week's story? Now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you an adventure in which uh, I'm afraid I... <laughs> well, I didn't exactly cover myself with glory, shall we say. But I think you'll find the story an exciting one, my boy, because it's composed of equal parts of romance, of international intrigue, and of sudden death. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Engineer's Thumb. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Well, thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Great Gildersleeve, followed by Philip Marlowe. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.